So I've been getting this idea, this question for like 10 years. And like a jackass, I never thought to create a solution to this because it's a major problem writing a book. And so my answers were always like boil down to work hard and learn how to be a writer, which is nonsense. That's like if I came to someone, came to you and said, how do I build an app? You wouldn't say learn to program. (laughs) There's a bunch of ways to solve the problem of not knowing how to program, even if you want to build an app, right? You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Louder Than Words, where I get to hang out with people, frankly, a lot cooler than me. Uh, I'm John Benini. Today, I'm joined by Tucker Max, who probably no, needs no introduction, um, but he authored I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, which spent years uh, on the bestseller list and later became a movie. Uh, he also authored a few others as well, including Assholes Finish First and Sloppy Seconds. Now, you know, he's a founder of a company called Book in a Box that's helping people turn ideas into books. Tucker, man, it's great to have you here. How's it going? Good, excellent, man. Happy to be here. Awesome, cool. So, so tell us about. Uh, I guess we'll lead off here. Like, tell us about Book in a Box. What is what is turning ideas into books? Like, what is that all about? <clears throat> so, if you're um, a CEO or an entrepreneur or a consultant or kind of anyone who has knowledge and wisdom in your head, and you want to turn it into a book, but you don't want to spend a year or two years sitting at a computer typing it all out, going through the awful process of writing and then publishing a book, we. Uh, uh, we handle it for you. So basically, all you have to do is talk on the phone with us, and we have a whole process to uh, articulate and position your book idea, to structure and outline it, and then to interview you to get everything out, and then edit it into a book. That's all your words, your ideas, your voice. So this isn't ghostwriting then? because No, it, no. Right, because right. so, ghostwriting is when you pay someone to write a book about idea, their ideas, uh, and then you pay them to put your name on it, right? Our process is 100% your ideas and your words. Uh, we don't add any content at all. So people have to come to you with a fully fleshed out sort of idea, concept, and, and you no, got- no, 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 no. So um, uh, maybe I'm not explaining it well. You just have to know what you're talking about, right? So uh, for example, let's say you're a master of podcasting. You really, really know podcasting, up, down, left, right, and center. Uh, and you, you know you've got a book in you, but let's say you're even unsure what the book is about or if it's multiple books, um, you know which ones they should be, which one you should do first, etc. Our job is to help you understand exactly what books you have in you, then which one you should do uh, first because it all depends on kind of what you want to accomplish, right? Uh, and then we help you structure it outline it and kind of go from there. How is this different? Like I'm sure you, you have a lot of experience, right? In traditional publishing. Um, a lot of people tend to go towards, you know, the self publishing route. It's more profitable, you know, that sort of thing. Um, coming from somebody like you who, you know, early two thousands, uh, about when I hope they serve beer and hell came out. How is this like experience, um, just going to be better for people? Um, you know, that are, that, are, that are trying to get ideas into book form and, and be published well, authors. So you're, you're kind of comparing two different things. So traditional publishing and self-publishing is just a manner of 
who owns the underlying rights. Uh, well, kind of who does the work to take a finished manuscript and turn it into a book, and then who owns the underlying rights. So in self-publishing, you do the work and you own the rights. In traditional publishing, they do the work and they own the rights, right? But neither process has anything to do with how you turn your idea into a finished manuscript, right? So what, what we're doing is essentially, you could almost think of it as automating the process. Like if you wanted to, to take, to turn an idea into a book, there's an immense amount of things you have to learn how to do. We already know how to do all those things. So all you have to do is get on the phone and talk to us and answer questions. Uh, and we can essentially put your ideas through the process as if you learn the process, except you don't have to. It's almost like going to a mechanic to fix your engine or something like that. It's still your car, it's your engine, you drive it. But someone else just knows how to make it all fit together the right way. How did this whole concept uh, sort of come about? Like how and when? So it was a, uh, our company is not even two years old. It's about a year and a half old. Um, it uh, it kind of started maybe about two years ago. I was at an entrepreneurial dinner and this woman asked me, um, she's a, a really well-known, really successful entrepreneur in her niche. And uh, she said people have been asking her for 10 years to write a book and she just doesn't know how to do it. And, and it seems very confusing and, and she didn't she wanted to get this book out of her head, but she wasn't. She didn't know how and didn't want to go through the normal process because of how terrible it is. And uh, and so she kind of asked me, "How do I get? How do I make this work without doing that?" And I was like, "Are you asking me to how to write a book without writing it?" And she said, "Yeah, actually, I kind of am." <laughs> and so I made fun of her, and then she she called me out. She's like, "Look, this is an entrepreneur event." Are you going to help me solve my problem like an entrepreneur should or are you just going to lecture me about hard work? <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, fine. So I, I, I tried to think of a way to write a book without writing it and I couldn't uh, until maybe like a month later. It kind of all came to me at once. I realized that most of the great minds of Western history never actually wrote any of their books down. So, for example, Socrates never wrote a word down. Plato did. Buddha never wrote a word down. His disciples did. Jesus Christ never wrote a word down. The Bible's full of his words because his apostles wrote them down. Malcolm X didn't write his book. Uh, 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 Winston Churchill. You go down the list, right? The, now, the books are all their ideas and their words and their genius, but they weren't the scribes who actually typed them or, or hand wrote them out, sure. right? And so uh, once once I understood that, once I kind of made that connection, which I'd known before, but I just never really thought about it in this context, then I said, okay, how do I how do I pull this like a process together? Because I, I can't just get someone to talk for a day and turn that into a book. There's you have to structure like a book has a uh, a format, right? And there's a way you kind of come up with a book idea and a way you position it and a way you structure it and whatever. And, uh, and so I, I kind of took separated each process out. I kind of went through the steps in my own head because I'd done this multiple times. And uh, I went to her and I, so I, I had a process I thought would work. And I went to her and I said, look, here's, um, here's what I think what we're going to try. I don't know if it's going to work. In fact, I don't think it will. But let's try it. And she's like, okay, cool. And we tried it and it worked. It worked amazingly well. We got an incredible book out of her that uh, was all her ideas in her voice and her words. Because I don't know anything. Her niche is pop-up retail. Like I don't know anything about that, right? So I could never ghostwrite a book about pop-up retail. 
but I could absolutely st- like structure her ideas in the right way to get them into a book, right? That's absolutely what we did. And, um, and then from there, we, we had a, all these people come to us, at, like cutting us big checks to do the same process with them before we even thought about turning this into a company, me and my co-founder, Zach Oberon. And so it was like one of those things where um, Mark Andreessen likes to talk about how uh, a lot of times a market, a market will pull a product out of a startup. It kind of happened to us. Uh, there were so, there's so many people want books and so many people face the same problem. And we, we found a way to solve it kind of by accident. And now here we are a year and a half later. We've done 250 books, $4 million in revenue, and we really have only just gotten started. Wow. So the woman you spoke to at that entrepreneurial event, that was your first, that was essentially your first customer. She became our first customer. And what's crazy is she's made millions of dollars off of her book. Not really from book sales, because I mean, the market for pop up retail books is really small. But the people who read them are all people who head up massive companies who all want to use her ideas in their company. And now they hire her. She is the go-to consultant in the, in the space now because she wrote the definitive book on this tiny but very lucrative niche. And so she's signed these huge seven-figure deals with mall companies and major retails like retailers like Chanel and Marc Jacobs and whatever, all because of, of her book. That's amazing. Can you share who that is? Oh, yeah, her name is Melissa Gonzalez. I talk about her all the time. Yeah, That's her on. book is called The Pop-Up Paradigm. It's on Amazon. Great. People have to check that out. Um, so, you know, you said it like at the beginning, what you, you know, your response to, you know, her request was, you know, your, your immediate response was to laugh, right? So coming up with this sort of idea um, is one thing, but then getting the word out, right? Like what, how did this sort of spread? Like what was the reception at first? Was it just sort of like, you know, through your network and knowing enough people that sort of wanted to do this or how did, how did this spread? So, you know, what's funny, dude, is that, um, I felt stupid when I kind of came up with this because people have literally been asking, when you write a book, you get two questions. Every author will tell you this. You get two questions. Number one is, oh, what's your book about? Number two, and they listen politely, but most people don't actually even care, right? Number two is the question they care about. How did, how did you do that? How can I write a book? Everybody wants to write a book, like almost everybody, especially people in business, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. For any number of reasons. Uh, there are a lot of really good reasons to write books. And um, so I've been getting this idea, this question, for like 10 years. And like a jackass, I never thought to create a solution to this because it's a major problem writing a book. And so my answers were always like boil down to work hard and learn how to be a writer, which is nonsense. That's like it, it, if I came to someone, came to you and said, how do I build an app? You wouldn't say learn to program. Like, there's a bunch of ways to solve the problem of not knowing how to program even if you want to build an app, right? So, uh, but that's, that's how everyone thinks about um, – about books. So this, she kind of forced me to rethink that. So as soon as we came, came up with a solution, it was just a matter of, there was all this pent up latent demand already in the market. Dude, people have this idea that it, when you have a product, you've got to do a bunch of marketing to get attention for it. Uh, for the most part, the more marketing you have to do, it usually means the worse your product is. Or the less demand there is. Uh, and that, it's not like an either or thing. I don't mean that as like a binary thing. Like, cause there, you know, there's some people who think 
oh, if you have to do any market at all, marketing at all, that means you, you don't have a great product. That's obviously total nonsense. But like, um, we've had to do very little marketing because there are so many, there's so much demand for this service. Like, uh, we blew, we did $200,000 in our first two months, and I did two things. Uh, Melissa told, I told a couple of my friends, and Melissa told a bunch of her friends. So we signed up, I don't know, five or six people off of direct connections. And, and when I say tell friends, I don't mean I emailed my list. I mean I literally told like 40 people what I was doing, <laughs> most of them to get feedback on about ideas about how to market it. And like, like of the 40 people I talked to, seriously, like five signed up and like, like actually paid you know, ten or $15,000 or whatever. Um, and then I did, I did a podcast, uh, Lewis House's podcast, The School of Greatness, about a totally different topic. And um, what was crazy is he had just finished writing his book, The School of Greatness, which came out a while ago and hit the bestseller list. And um, uh, he, he's dyslexic. And so he talked about what a problem it was for him to write a book, obviously. And, uh, and I was like – and I started, I started talking about our process. I was like, Lewis, I wish you know, I, I had known, man, we just did this brand new thing. Here's how it works. And he was like blown away. He thought it was amazing. <laughs> and so <laughs> what was funny is – He's like, what do you call what do you call the company? And I swear to God, at that point, I had not even thought of it as a company yet. It was still like kind of in my head as this one-off project I did for somebody. And I was like, we I joked with Zach that what we had done is created a book in a box, right? And uh, so I told Lewis, well, we call it book in a box. And then th- that became the company because when his podcast went up, like we got I don't even know. I think we signed like six people off of that podcast. It was insane how many people we signed. And we ended up doing seriously like $200,000 with essentially no marketing. Uh, and, and then I wrote an article. We did like another 150 off of that. So we did like 400 grand in the first five months. And it was like, all right, we have to – that was nothing. And so it was like, okay, we have to get serious about this now. This is a company. And then – yeah, we went from there. So you guys, you know, it's, it's service-based. You guys are consultants. You obviously can't take everyone that, you know, even say on the website, we don't work with everyone. So, so- service-based is not a consultant. Those are totally different business models. We are a done-for-you service. You're right about service. Whereas a consultant would be if we taught this for a fee to people. Sure. So you don't, you know, it says on the website, you don't work with everyone. Um, so what does the vetting process look like? Or what does the pitch process look like? Like, how do you guys determine we, we don't really, yeah, on? we don't really, we don't really pitch yet because there, there, uh, we don't do any outbound sales. We don't pitch people because there's so many people who already want to write books and haven't because the process is hard, the normal process that for us, sales essentially boils down to, uh, marketing is just telling people that this exists and we get floods of God, Gary V show has just crushed us. We've gotten 50 like serious inbound leads just from that alone. Um, and, uh, uh, so any marketing we do, writing articles, going on podcasts almost always brings in people cause what we're doing is new, right? So there's a lot of interest. Uh, then our sales process is essentially a qualification process. So we have to figure out to we put our prices on our site. It costs twenty grand, and then we have a book that explains our process. So if you can't afford twenty grand, just go read the book and do it yourself because you don't need us. The reason you pay us twenty grand is uh, you're buying uh, time and expertise. Uh, but if you you know if you can't afford it, uh, there, there's a DIY service that's basically free. It's like two dollars on Amazon or something. So um, 
So what, what we're doing is qualifying people. And qualifying consists of making sure you actually have a book idea in you. Because our process does not work if you don't know what you're talking about. Right? That's really what makes it distinct from ghostwriting. Is like if you hired me to write a book about, um, I don't know, how to overthrow a government or something, right? You probably don't know anything about that. Neither do I. But if you paid me 200 grand, I'll go research how to overthrow a government. I can write you a book about it that's very plausible and feasible and sounds good, et cetera. Um, And then, you know, you give me the money, you check clears, you get to put your name on it, right? That's ghostwriting. But if you came to us and said, hey, write me a book about how to overthrow a government, we'd be like, oh, it's a great idea. Do you know how to do that? You'd be like, no. We'd be like, okay, great. Can't work with you. Sorry. You know? So that that's the first part is we actually have to understand, like at least get a kind of a, a good idea of what your book is about or what you want to talk about and if you actually know what you're talking about. Uh, the, uh, the second part of the qualification process is understanding how you're going to ROI the book. Like what are you going to use this book for? What reason are you writing a book? And the only reason we care there's an infinite number of valid reasons, right? But the, the, there's a few really bad reasons, and we don't want to work with people who have really bad reasons to write books because if they have a really dumb or bad reason, then the book will fail, and they will blame us even though it's their fault that, that the book had a bad reason. For example, um, if someone comes to us and says, I've got this incredible book idea. It's going to sell a, My goal is to sell a million copies and be the best-selling book of the year. We're like, okay, great. Uh, good luck with whoever you find to work with you. <laughs> you know, because the, like the, the best selling, there's like two or two, anywhere from two to ten books that sell nonfiction books that sell a million copies in a year. It's it's not impossible, but it's like it, it's like your financial strategy being to win the lottery, right? That is not a financial planning strategy. That's just something you hope that happens. Um, and, and so people like that are delusional. And then they get mad at us because their book didn't sell a million copies, even though it, it probably it was a stupid book to begin with because that delusional people tend to have dumb books in them. But then also, uh, even if it did well, it could sell 20,000 copies, which is an immense amount for a nonfiction book. They'll get angry because it didn't reach the fantasy they had in their mind, right? And so we don't want to work with those people either, which basically leaves the best possible clients. At 20 grand, we've got people who are CEOs – like serious Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 CEOs, uh, amazing entrepreneurs, amazing C-level execs, really smart coaches and consultants and really successful people who have really brilliant ideas in their heads and who have a valid reason for writing a book, meaning like it's going to get them status and authority in their field or it's going to get them speeches or they're going to drive leads to their business or they're going to you know raise their visibility or they're going to – even a memoir – to tell your story to your family, that's totally cool. Um, it's just if you don't have an actual achievable reason, then it's going to end up hurting everyone involved. So th- that, that's our vetting process. That's extensive. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to back up a little bit, you know, and, and talk about like your, you know, um, your first professional experiences, you know, out of school and that you, you know, you went to law school and you later worked, uh, I believe in, you know, out in San Francisco in the Valley, um, in law, correct? 
Yes, I, for three weeks at Fenwick and West until they fired me. <laughs> and so I, I've heard the story, but I'm sure most listeners haven't. So, um, yeah, walk us through like that that process or not process, but that experience of 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 being in law for a few weeks and, and getting fired and, and and all that stuff. I, I mean, what do you want to hear about it? Like, I, I was a a drunken, reckless, unguided missile, and they were right to fire me. <laughs> that's that's pretty much it, you know. Yeah. So, um, I mean, was that sort of, I mean, because obviously that's a far, uh, that's a long ways from where you're at now, right? The, you know, getting into being an author and now what you're doing, um, now with book in a box. So, I mean, looking back, were you happy practicing law or, I mean, it was a short time, but of course, of course not, dude, you don't act the way I acted if you're happy. <laughs> so where did you go from there? So like you've talked about like, so I mean, you couldn't. You you've talked about. I mean, I see you, uh, on the Gary V show um, that you were sort of blackballed, really, from from law. So really, you didn't. I mean, even if you wanted to sort of stick around, you you kind of had to find other things. So like, where did you go from there? Like after that whole, I went to work for my father, my family. My my dad had a a, a business um, and a restaurant business in South Florida, and I went to work for him, and then he fired me from the family business. How did how does your own dad like? How does that work? Well, I mean, um, it's one of those things where when I, I was 25, I was really stupid. And I assumed that um, being uh, – my name was on the door and, and, and my father owned the company. And so he was always going to back me. And when I got to the company, I was like, there, you know, there's a bunch of – he had a bunch of brown-nosing, psychophant assholes, thieves that worked for him who were awful people like most corporations – and uh, he had this great idea and this great company that could have scaled nationally and could have been like what P.F. Chang's is and, and what Cheesecake Factory are. He had a, a small set of restaurants that could have easily achieved something like that. And so I saw I had that vision. I was like, let's do that. Let's scale that. But we got to get rid of all these idiots first. <laughs> and so um, I made the mistake of uh, thinking that being right uh, was all that mattered in business when usually it's the last thing that matters. Uh, usually it's the egos of the people involved that matter the most. And so I told these people I was going to fire them and uh, and they were much better at office politics than I was and they knew my dad much better than I did. And so they basically, um, uh, they they it was like a court, you know, like a, like a medieval court. They worked the, the, the system better than I did and I gave them enough ammunition that my dad ended up picking them over me and fired me. And so how did this all, like, you know, this experience in law, working for your father, you know, both situations obviously didn't work out. Um, and then somewhere down the line, you know, several years later, you know, all of a sudden you're a published author on the bestseller list. So, like, talk about the beginnings of, like, how did I hope they serve beer in hell? Like, how did that even come about? Well, um, when I, when I was working in South Florida, before I got fired and after, I hated it. And I would write emails to, like, there were eight friends that I went to law school with. And we were all uh, working in different cities. And so, like, you know, we were all on an email chain together. Like, like now it would probably be a group chat. But then it was an email chain. And, um, uh, you know, just uh, we'd go back and forth. And I would just get drunk and hook up with a bunch of crazy women and write stories about it because I hated my life and they thought the stories were hilarious. And like you can read like the first, you know, first half of I hope they serve beer and hell basically emails that um, I wrote my friends. And uh, uh, 
after I got fired by my dad, one of my buddies was like, look, man, you're obviously not very good at law and you're not very good at, <laughs> at, um, at uh, business, but you're very good at writing. Like these emails uh, that you write are the funniest things that I've ever read. You, this is what you should do. And it, like, it had never occurred to me that I would be a, a writer or anything like that. And so I, I, first I went the normal route. Like I sent all my stuff to publishers and agents and I got 100% rejection. And um, so I didn't know what else to do. I put it up on the internet. And uh, it, you know, I started slow, but then it took off. And this is before, like, this is 2002. Like, like I, I was using GeoCities. I was going to say, what were you even using the blog? Yeah, like, back then? no, this is like the word blog didn't exist then. <laughs> like, no one wrote on the internet for free. That was like, that was back when the internet was the ghetto. You know, that was like, you know, you didn't meet people off the internet because they were all creepy. Um, that was, you know, that was uh, back then. And um, I put my writing up and, and, and it, it blew up because I was like one of the very first people into this new medium that was putting really high quality stuff out for free. And a whole generation of kids, you know, college kids like me were moving into workspaces where they had computers and there was nothing to do all day and they were bored and, and I, I, like my stuff was funny. And now the internet's flooded with content. Back then there was really not that much, especially good quality. And so um, it blew up, and uh, then this girl sued me because of a story I wrote, and I, I won the lawsuit, uh, but it became this big First Amendment case, and then publishers came back to me uh, to, to publish, and so I ended up getting published, and then my book was the very first blog to bestseller, um, and then became the first blog to movie, too. Which seems common now, at least the blog to bestseller thing. Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe it's not so every, much the blog every to week. movie. But at, at the time, though, I mean, this is yeah. You're you're talking yeah. Obviously, pre the word blog, but pre Facebook, pre Twitter, pre MySpace. I mean, like pre like the the viral marketing that we know now. Um, you know, through social and all those sorts of things, shares and likes, and so like. Ha I mean, I think it's impressive that it was it it quote unquote blew up and spread in the way it did at a time where it was much harder for people to like sh sort of share that stuff. So like, how, how did you know that it was happening? Because now it's really easy to know, um, right? Like you see the shares you're because getting. Because you people would, I mean, it, it, it's so funny to talk about this. Like it was forever ago. This is like 10 years ago. And internet, um, yeah, internet. Yeah, years but that years. is, no, that's like two, three cycles in internet time. Um, so, uh, well, first off, when I was sending my stories out just by email, I would get my stories forwarded back to me by friends of mine in other social circles. So I would start by sending them to my nine or eight friends in law school, and then they would send it to all their friends and then their friends and whatever. And then I would have like friends like from college or people I worked with forward me the emails and be like, dude, did you read this? It's so funny. And I was like, look, you stupid asshole, scroll down to the bottom, look at the first header. I'm the one who wrote that email. <laughs> and uh, my friend's like, oh, yeah, I thought it sounded like you, blah, blah, blah. So I knew my stuff was super popular. Uh, I knew people liked it um, uh, really quickly. And then once I put it up on the internet, you can just look at the traffic, man. I mean, you know, and then I had my email up, people emailed me, you know. And so I got a lot of attention because this is back when there were a lot of there were a lot more people online than people realized, but most people were still 
like there weren't a lot of engaged people online, but all the people who were engaged online tended to be readers and a lot of them were young because it was at work. And so it was sort of like my audience in a weird way were online. They were either online in college or online at work. Now everyone's online and mobile has totally changed the game. But this is like, I, I, I was very adapted to my medium. Like for example, if I started, if I was 27, I started writing at 27. If I was 27 today, with all my, my same life, same experiences, I don't think I would become a writer. In fact, I know I wouldn't. I would end up being like a YouTube, um, fine Snapchat star. You know, like there's a bunch of these dudes who like go around the world and party and take pictures of hot girls and blah, blah, blah. And like, um, they have, you know, like their own little niche followings and they do very well. And some of them are DJs or whatever you want to call them. But like I would have, I would have become more of a performance artist the way those guys are than a writer. But at the time, the only way to kind of tell my stories was writing, and so I learned how to write, and I kind of by accident by making my friends laugh, but I still did, and um, and that's kind of how it happened, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask you like, how would you tell that story now? Um, and you kind of answered that through like, you know, things like Vine, YouTube, you know, things that didn't exist obviously back then. Exactly. Um, because the blog route. Uh, that would be a lot harder now, right? I mean, do you think you'd be you would have been able to do what you did in a similar format through blogging and and sort of achieve the same level of success? Of course, absolutely. I, 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 I would have achieved the same level of success with the written word. But here's the thing: I think most people don't realize is that like this is probably a little bit too meta, a little bit too deep for your podcast. But I feel like uh, the, the the humans for. Reading is a very cognitively difficult task, and I think there is only a small percentage of humans who enjoy reading and who actually uh, are good at it and like doing it. Uh, and I think the vast majority of people, when given a choice, are not going to read, not because they're stupid or they have low attention spans, but it's just because that is not a normal native way for humans to absorb information and context and content. And um, uh, like, I'll give a great example. I I wrote a book that tens I mean like my audience was 40 million guys and I only sold about 3 or 4 million books. Why is that? Because most guys just won't ever read anything because school ruins reading for them or they don't like reading. Whereas if I was a woman, I would have sold at least 3 times, probably 10 times as many books. And there's no sexism involved. It's just women uh like reading a lot more. I mean that's just empirically true. Uh, like uh, the novels that are um, uh, geared to women, whether it's Fifty Shades or, or uh, you know, more intelligent ones like Daniel Steele or whatever, they outsell novels that are geared to men three to ten x, just the way it is. Um, so, uh, I like I never would have picked text if I was pick, picking mediums. Right, um, and, and I feel like as we move forward, as, as it becomes not only cheaper to consume other mediums, but cheaper to produce them, uh, I think we've probably seen the last of the great writers. But what we're going to see is an explosion of great content. But people are going to create that content in mediums that are native to human consumption, and that is video first and audio second. So that's like YouTube and podcasts, you know. What what's your what's your take on um, you know Snapchat and this whole movement you know because now you have a lot of people. Snapchat's not a movement, dude. It's just a way for people to connect. 
Well, I mean, it's certainly like taken, uh, you know, the momentum behind it, I would say in the past like six months has certainly hit a tipping point where now, you know, you're seeing, you know, Kim Kardashian on TV, like promoting her Snapchats and, you know, previously it was, it was Facebook and then it was Twitter. And now like Snapchat seems to have reached that critical mass where, um, now businesses are trying to figure it out, which, um, you know, is interesting, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's just another platform to tell a story for sure. But it seems like it's hit a critical mass where um, people are gaining traction there in a, in a way that they weren't sort of maybe a year ago. I, I'm on Snapchat. I hardly use it, um, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask about Snapchat. But my I think my point is not uh, I'm not really talking much um, about specific mediums uh, like or specific apps or or branded. Mediums. I'm talking more about actual modes of communication. So I did want to ask you about the, um, you know, about the movie, right? Because that's, you know, for 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 a published author, um, you know, that, you know, especially people, you know, fiction writers, that, that that's a logical or or aspirational next step. So how did that, um, like, what was that experience like? Um, seeing your work, you know, turned into a movie. Sucked. It sucked. <laughs> no, it totally sucked because the movie was a disaster. And um, most of the reason why it was my fault, at least ultimately it was my fault. Um, so it was a massive opportunity that I squandered. Um, and that's never fun. Why, why would you say you squandered it? Uh, because, I mean, I had a huge opportunity to turn my stories into a different medium. And a medium that they, would have, they should flourish in. Uh, TV or movies for my content... That's their natural home, um, and uh, but the thing that there were—I mean, I've written a lot of stuff about this, but um, ultimately it boils down to a couple things. Um, I picked well, so in a tactical structural sense, um, writing is a singular art. Vi- filmed video content, especially movies, are deeply collaborative art, and so uh, creating singular art versus collaborative art is totally different process. And, uh, and I didn't really realize that and I didn't adapt to that at all. But the larger issue was, um, I was just really arrogant and really full of hubris and I picked all the wrong people to work with, uh, because of that. And they ended up being, um, uh, they ruined the movie, but I don't want to blame it on them because I picked them, you know, and I picked them for reasons of my own. Like because of my own emotional issues, so it's like you can't get mad at a dog because it pisses on a fire hydrant. That's what dogs do, you know. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, how about uh, do you see yourself getting? Do you have any other books on the horizon or or anything? And and you see yourself stepping into that? Stepping into writing? How what do you mean? Back in like writing another book? <laughs> I mean, man, I got a company to grow, dude. It's uh, <laughs> I, I've been pretty busy, you know. I guess there's enough there to do, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, when you think about when you think about booking a box, like, is there? I mean, I'm sure there's several that come to mind, but is there like an ultimate success story so far? You know, in the two years that it's been around, where you point to and be like, you know, this was this was a book that we extracted um, or helped somebody extract, and 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 now look at it. Yeah, um, I mean, we have so many. I mean, Melissa's book is just as a business example has literally made her millions of dollars. Um, which, you know, business examples tend not to be that exciting to a lot of people unless you're, you're entrepreneurs and that's what they care about. But we've definitely done a lot of books that have had more, I think, broader social impact. Um, there's a book called 
um, I Forgot to Die by Khalil Rafati. He, uh, he owns Sun Life Organics, which is like this big juice uh, bar in, in Malibu in L.A. And um, he, uh, he was like a serious derelict heroin ad- drug addict and kind of got out of it and went to recovery and got better. And had just this cra- he has this crazy life story. And uh, he, instead of writing about business, he, he did his book to tell his life story. And that book is blown up in the recovery community. And it's like required reading now at dozens of rehab centers and all kinds of like celebrity addicts, like people like David Duchovny and Pamela Anderson and, and people like that have all read it and tweeted about it. And the, the book has helped tens of thousands of people already, um, like saved lives. Like the, the, I mean, obviously no one's writing us. They're telling Khalil, but the stuff he gets uh, from people is pretty amazing. And that dude is deeply, deeply ADD and dyslexic. Like he's a really smart guy, but he you can't get him to sit down or to to even read a sentence, much less write a book. So, but getting him on the phone to talk was easy. So the process um, uh, worked really well for him. We did a really good book with him. That's amazing, and 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 most likely a book that may have not seen the light or maybe taken never would have happened absolutely never would have happened like he's he said we have like this testimonial from him that we haven't put on our site yet but he's like yeah this book never ever ever would have happened without book in a box that's amazing yeah so so tucker a lot of a lot of business professionals entrepreneurs startup people they listen to this podcast i'm sure 90 percent of them as you mentioned earlier, have aspirations at some point to write a book. So how can they connect with book? And like, where, where do they go? Like, what can they expect uh, the process to be like? So basically where, where should they go from here to, to get in touch with you? Uh, best thing is uh, you, you can email me directly, Tucker at bookinabox.com. I'm happy to talk to whoever, um, or just go to the website, bookinabox.com. There's a little form at the bottom, uh, fill it out. And one of my people will be in contact with you in, a day, and we're happy to hop on the phone and talk through your idea, talk through the sort of return you're looking for, and see if we're a good fit. Awesome! I'll be sure to put your email in the uh, in the show notes too, so anybody who wants to to go back afterward and, and reference it can do so. Um, Tucker, man, this was awesome, man. Thanks a lot for for spending the time with us talking about uh, you know booking a box, your experiences. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome, definitely, man. Thank you for having me. And for all the listeners, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. 